But what's what's a more fun one? College baseball? Oh man, you've been fingered in a dorm for sure. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Alright. Let's dive into this. Alright, alright, so who went pro and didn't take you with them? Who was it? <laughs> Uh, what, what is it that you don't like about college baseball players? Oh my gosh. Uh, the ego. Yeah, the ego. The ego of playing a, a collegiate sport at a high level? <laughs> you can't be proud about that? The seventh pitcher on the team? I love how you're clowning them for that, but Loki, you fucked the seventh pitcher on the team. <laughs> Yo, your pussy is the bullpen. Do you know that? <laughs> Strike one. So it's just an ego thing? That's the only thing you don't like about it? Because he could just be proud to be playing a sport. Because I, I love playing high school sports. I didn't get to play at a college level, but I would have been very excited too. Oh, he, he, you never fucked him? Damn, you couldn't even fuck the seventh pitcher on the baseball team? Damn. Strike two. Oh my gosh. Where did you go to school? You didn't go to school? You didn't go to college? Strike three, bitch. Yeah! yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. That could not have went better. That could not have went better. Oh my god. <laughs> have you tried Little League? <laughs> This weekend, I was thinking we could play. Yeah, I have plans. Plans? Mm -hmm. I thought we'd do everything together. Besides, me and the ferret are going fishing. You and the who are going where? Me and the ferret are going to get some Budweiser long necks and charter a 28 foot fishing boat. Excuse me? Then next weekend, I'm taking a taekwondo class. Oh. And the weekend after that, we're in the racquetball tournament. Right. Uh, thank you. Why are you doing this to me? What? The ferret is my enemy. He stole my job. I like him. He's funny, laid back, has a lot of good jokes. Good jokes, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, hey, ferret, could I hear one of your jokes? Yeah, tell him the one about the baboon with the wooden leg. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. I don't get it. What's not to get? What language is that? It's not French. I speak French. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. A can of Old Bay, a dock worker from Locust Point, a doctor from Sinai, a hairdresser from Patterson Park, and a firefighter from Glendon. There's a fourth grader from Friendship Academy and a lacrosse star for Boys Latin, a Catholic priest and an Orthodox rabbi, a grandma from Dundalk, and a drummer from Hamilton. What's inside a can of Old Bay? You are. 
Old Bay. For 75 years, it's been the can that connects us. Time for an old favorite here at Weekend Update, Point Counterpoint. Here to debate tonight are Yankees shortstop Derek Jeter and Boston Red Sox fan Seth Myers. <laughs> on Point Counterpoint, Derek Jeter sucks. No, I don't. <laughs> Derek, uh, why don't we start with you? Thanks, Tina. Uh, I know my good friend Seth here is a Red Sox fan, and that's great. The fans really are what keep Major League Baseball going. But I hope Seth can see that I play hard all the time, and I always do my best for the team. Seth, Counterpoint? You suck! <laughs> You still have like 30 seconds. I'll elaborate. Jeter, you suck in three very specific ways. So hard, so bad, and wicked bad. Derek, response? Well, I've heard this argument before, Seth. In fact, Red Sox fans have been nice enough to share this argument, argument with me every time I play in Boston. Or walk in Boston, or go on a date to a fancy restaurant in Boston. Also, sometimes they drive to Baltimore when we play the Orioles to tell me I suck. But if you look, at, if you look at my numbers, you'll find I've been a fairly productive shortstop. Seth, what are you doing? You've been following me around all week screaming at me. I'm sorry, Derek. Really, I, I really am. It's just you and people just like you ruined my entire childhood. So I swore that if I ever got within six feet of a real Yankee, I'd kick his ass. But then I saw you. And I knew that that could not happen. But thankfully, this can happen. You suck! Seth, I don't suck. I won four World Series rings in six years. Valid point. But if there was a World Series of sucking, you'd have like a hundred rings. <laughs> what? All right, look. Nomar Garcia Paul is a great player. Is it, is it okay to say he sucks? What did, what did you say? I, I don't think he sucks. I'm trying to prove a point. Well, why would you say that? You said that Nomar, he has a broken wrist. And he's so nice. And he's like my best friend. Seth, Seth I'm sorry. Is there, is there anything I can do to make you feel better? Will you come play for Boston? No. Then sign my hat? Sure, sure, man. No problem. Will you sign it as Nomar? Whatever. Whatever. Thanks, Derek. Um, you know, you don't suck. Thanks, Seth. Uh, you do suck a little. I know, I know. This has been Points Counterpoints. Two, two. Davis, the left, and well hit! Oh my! It's 
From high atop the Robinson Gearing Studio Complex, straight out of God's country, Pauley's Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. Welcome to my dojo, those other pods are so-so I'm too late, bro, yo, focus like a GoPro Ripping up this promo, check out the scoreboard Free up going, no, no, it's going, it's going, it's going Yo, it's going, your heart just stop Cause Jake got strong and mighty, undefeated, I mean it Pull up the pod, scroll it down and read it Written, produced, directed, and mixed Dog on your lips and Ozzie Smith back lips Pick a tip, baby, tip, get on to it I got ridiculous pods without pausing it You sit at home crying like a girl while I spread the gospel around the world, yo, the pods are written behind tracks that mix it smooth with the groove to make ears wanna listen. Add a little gut and a rhythm to back it up. Another show to my name, now watch me stack them up. You think another white rap bag, but this ain't no act jack. My hobbies are rhyme, some people try to be black, but that about time I come out, call the snow, BKP and let me turn it out, yo. Name Jake the State Board of 71. Dates, you know what time it is, I'm packing them guns, yo. Experience, I've been a witness to glory, and that's why I collect. Ball players and their stories. You heard so. The kids, the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kagalaki. Hat man, hat podcast machine. Back in the Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. What's cracking, my nerds? What's juicy? Thank you for joining me for another week here at the Dojo for BKP, the Grassroots Baseball Pod, spanning the globe. A place where yeah, like-minded seamens get to come together every week as I pontificate baseball characters, milestones, pop culture, and history, and how it has been woven into the fabric of not only American culture, but slowly and surely the world as it is truly becoming a global phenomenon. Evidenced by the WBC and the fact that the game's most well-paid player is the richest athlete in all the professional team sports in the world. And he's from Japan. So, whether you're from Texas, California, Osaka, Seoul, Prague, Wrexham, London, Melbourne, Amsterdam, Santa Domingo, Caracas, San Juan, Jerusalem, Rome, or wherever. Teach your kids how to hit, run, throw, steal bags. And you too could wind up making that Otani paper. Hello, everybody. This is Backwards K Pod Hot Stove Report. Your boy Jake the Snake Robinson. Show 116, week 11 of the 2023 MLB offseason. And it was really a slow week for free agents and trades this week. As the crop of big fish on the market owned by agent Scott Morris and continues to hold out for the numbers. Well, all except one, that is, as the Houston Astros made a huge splash by signing the number one closer on the market when they inked Josh Hader 
to a five-year deal reportedly worth around $95 million, making him the highest-paid closer in terms of AAV without the deferrals, which, you know, that's a thing now. The Southpaw returns to the organization where he was once the minor league pitcher of the year in 2004 before being shipped off to the Brewers in a trade for Carlos Gomez and Mike Fierce. And it comes just days after the Strohs lost reliever Kendall Graveman for the season uh, after having right shoulder surgery. Now, going into the offseason, Houston had identified a need for a backup catcher and some bully fortification. A need that was only exacerbated by watching Hector Neris, Phil Matone, Ryan Stanek leave for free agency after combining for 185 innings pitch combined by the trio out of the Astros bully last year. So they go out, they pick up Victor Carantini to address the backup catcher need, and then they snag Hater to give them one of, if not the best, seventh, eighth, ninth inning trio of arms. I mean, the Astros already had. Ryan Presley as their closer, who has quietly notched 90 saves for the club over the past three seasons, as well as dominate setup, uh, dominant setup dude Brian Abreu, who struck out 100 batters in 72 innings pitched last year, 1.70 ERA, 2.98 FIP, 1.04 WHIP, and a 2.41 ERA plus. And now, with Hader in the fold, the Astros have this fierce three-headed monster in the back end of that bully. And all three of those guys could be closers on almost every MLB team, quite honestly. So, that bears asking the question, what are the roles here? So, the, the new manager, Astro manager, uh, Joe Espada, he's keeping his cards close to the vest, but my guess is since Hayter was paid the most money for a closer in the history of the baseball, he will get the majority of looks here, but at the same time, Presley has been ridiculously consistent in his tenure as a team closer, and he is probably the best postseason closer we've had since Mo Rivera. So, while I think Hayter will be given the majority of shots here, I do think the Astros have like this fluid back into the bully. And a couple of weeks ago, I told you how the Giants will have a fluid rotation this year with no set number two, three, four, or five guy. I feel like the Strohs back in their bully here will be ran in much the same manner as Houston has never, never wanted to shy away from challenging the system if it works to their advantage and staying ahead of the Saber metrics. And thankfully, Team GM Dana Brown has said Presley is on board 100% with this acquisition. So it doesn't look like ego is going to be a factor here. And it looks like Houston is going, you know, they're going all in once again with Alex Bregman and Kyle Tucker set to hit the market within the next couple of years. The Astros have never gone over the first luxury tax threshold, but with the signing of Hayter, they are officially over, and as of now, they owe $20 million in competitive balance tax. While the Strohs may have the best late-inning arms in the league, and 
if you go into the sixth or seventh with the lead, it may be ding-ding for most opponents. They still have work to do, losing Naris, Matone, Static, and Graven from their bullpen rotation. Uh, they still have Jose Urquidy, maybe some Forrest Whitley, Rafael Montero. I mean, he's regressed. I, I don't know. I, it still looks like they need to do more to me. But Hader does lock down the back end, and even more importantly, in a lot of ways, they keep him inside with in-state rivals of the world champion Texas Rangers, who desperately need bullpen help. And I look at this as a great regular season move, but it's also like this prodigious postseason move for me. When the starters and bullpen, their work gets trimmed of that unnecessary fat in the postseason, and it's a strategy that worked well for the Rangers uh, in the post last year with John Gray and all those guys. They had a horrible bullpen going into the postseason, but they kind of made it work because, you know, they kind of blew dudes out early, and their pitchers didn't have to go long, and some of their starters, like John Gray, moved to the bullpen. He was fantastic. So, this is a fantastic short move, short-term move for the Astros, as far as I'm concerned. But they still need to hawk up in their bully. And five years from now, that contract ain't going to look so great, especially if it costs you Braggs and Tucker. And other news, those sneaky Tampa Bay Rays... They made yet another an intriguing non-roster move this week, past week. And this could be one of those under-the-radar maneuvers that Tampa does so often, and it pays dividends. The Rays signed right into pitching Japanese import Naoki Uasawa to a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. Now, Uasawa is a three-time NBL All-Star back in Japan. The soon-to-be 30-year-old pitcher is coming off his best season. That's all put together a 2.96 ERA and over 170 innings pitched for the Nippon Camp Fighters. 124 strikeouts to 41 walks and a 1.14 whip. Now, the reason this cat has flown under the radar is because well, he doesn't miss bats with the propensity of a Yamamoto or even Imanaga. Uh, who he is kind of comparable to as far as his arsenal is concerned. Uasawa is an arsenal guy. He doesn't blow your wig back with elite stuff like Yamamoto with his powerful fastballs and devastating splitters. Nor does he have Imanaga's arsenal consistency to continuously miss bats. He's got four to five pitches he can roll out onto the bump with. He uses them well, pitches to contact, and he gets it done. He averages 7.3 strikeouts per nine in his career. And here in America, you know, the strikeout rate means something. You know, uh, pitches that might be borderline in Japan, you know, you're going to have a problem with these major league hitters who will demolish you without a second thought. And apparently, Uasawa turned out a guaranteed major league deal with the Angels to sign with the Rays, which is indicative of the confidence he has in himself and the confidence he had in the Rays' ability to develop him to be his best Noyoki he could possibly be. Supposedly, this cat is like a gym rat and a video freak, and he's already locked in with the Rays' way of doing things, from what I hear. His ceiling looks to be back into the starter. 
or am I thinking for his floor is a solid right-handed pitcher, long relief to work in tandem with Southpaw, Tyler, and with Xander, and that bully. At least I can see it that way in the beginning to see how things shake out. And even though he doesn't strike out elite top-of-the-rotation totals, he doesn't walk anyone. He averages 2.4 walks per nine. He would have had the 10th best stingiest uh, walk percentage in the majors last year, sandwiched between Aaron Nola and Pablo Lopez. He has a rubber arm who has thrown 160 innings pitched every year with the exception of the pandemic 19 and 20 seasons. And that's going back to 2018. Only 45 pitchers in all of the majors last year threw over 160 innings pitched. And if I'm projecting the Rays' starting rotation when they roll into Tampa St. Pete, if everyone's healthy, you got Zach Eflin at the top, Aaron Savali, number two, Shane Boz, who all reports say he's looked phenomenal in his rehab work. Zach Littell. And I guess, you know, like Todd Bradley or, you know, Ryan Pepio, whom they traded uh, Tyler Glass now for. They're going to get some serious looks with Uwasawa somehow wedged it for that final rotation spot. My instincts tell me Noyoki will, will make the big league roster out of camp. But he will start the year in the bully unless he's overmatched. Now, signing Uwasawa, it didn't force the Rays after their 40 uh, to alter their 40 man rotation. They can add him during screen training once they put Shane McClanahan, Jeffrey Springs, and Drew Rasmussen on the 60 day IL. It's pretty much a low risk, low cost move. That always seems to work out in Tampa's favor in the last decade or so. The Japanese pitcher received a $25,000 signing bonus, and the Rays owe a quarter of that salary, $6,259 to the Hamfighters, as well as 50% of Uwasawa's total Major League earnings at the end of the year. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the BKP Hot Stove Report for the week. Kind of quiet week. Matt Carpenter went back to the Cards on a one-year deal. The White Sox signed relief pitcher John Brebbia, who pitched out of the Giants bully last year to a one-year deal. And looky, looky here, folks. I just now got an alert that Arnaldus Chapman has signed a one-year deal with the Pirates. And other than that, all is quiet in the Western Front. Still a lot of fresh fish on the market. There's trade potential on nearly every team, and I'll be here every step of the way to keep you abreast of all the bigger roster moves until that first pitch of the 2024 baseball season. And with that, we put a backwards K in the scoreboard. Uh, The scorebook next to this week's Hot Stove Report. And that's my cue to rustle up our last remaining stragglers at Terrapin Station here. As I look to the west, across at our beautiful ball field, I see the pitcher has completed his warm-up tosses. The catcher has thrown down a second. And the infield is now flipping that ball around the diamond. The umpires call play ball. I'd like to clear this platform as we have wormholes to catch today as this week's story starts all the way back in the 19th century. So let's get our trusty BKP time travel chocho loaded up 
And it's our call. All aboard. And I will be setting our time and destination this week for May 28th, 1887. To a sack and box Native American reservation near Prague. Which is now present day Oklahoma. So, hurry, hurry, step right up, freaks. Our choo-choo is state-of-the-art. We got monitors and high-def audio to listen in everywhere on this train, as well as this large lounge area here that you can sit in. So, get in where you can fit in. Take off your shoes, rip off your bras, open your kimonos, whatever you gotta do to get comfortable, go for it. We don't judge here. And as I've been baseball, t- uh, baseball space and time to get us back to 1887, I feel it's somewhat apropos to inform you about the climate of America and the world at, the, at this time. Let's see, Russia, they're going to invade the Ottoman Empire because the Ottomans are infringing on their borders and are perceived to be a threat to their security. Huh. That sounds familiar. There is political strife here in America as Congress establishes an electoral commission to investigate the disputed presidential election between Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel J. Tilden. Huh. That sounds familiar. I mean, are humans really this stupid? Do we just keep perpetuating history throughout time? Oy vey. It would be determined that Rutherford Pete Hayes won the Electoral College 185 to 184 and become the country's 19th president. Later that year, President Hayes faced the first test of his presidency when he removes federal troops out of the last two Confederate states of Louisiana and South Carolina and recognition of the end of Reconstruction from the Civil War. And he has to send the army into Baltimore, where B&O railroad workers strike, and a riot ensues with ten people dead in its wake. Some impactful things happened in the baseball universe in 1887, when the first catcher's mask was invented by a Harvard graduate named Marvin Thayer. And it was used on April 12th in the first professional baseball game. Also, the Cincinnati Choir coins the term bullpen for the very first time. It was used to indicate the part of foul territory where the late stragglers showing up to games were herded like cattle. The first Wimbledon tournament is played in 1887, and the Indian Wars across the Dakotas and Kansas, as well as the Southwest, are winding down from their sad and bloody battles. Crazy Horse and his Sioux warriors fight their last battle with the U.S. Cavalry at the Wolf Mountain of the Montana Territory. Lakota Chiefs sit in bull, reading the writing on the wall, and realizing how this is all going to work out. He takes his remaining survivors of his tribe to Canada to avoid harassment and ethnic cleansing at the hands of the U.S. Army. Chief Joseph of the Nez Pierce tribe would watch his warriors get butchered at Looking Glass, Montana. Eventually, he would retreat with his people into the bowels of the Grand Canyon, where the U.S. Army would eventually sniff him out. And it's this weird part of my history where 
we're only 20 years removed from fighting each other in the Civil War, but we're not quite to the industrial boom yet. In a lot of ways, it's a tough, hard life for the everyday person, especially if you're a Native American, which leads us to this week's topic, Jim Thorpe. And he was easily the greatest athlete of the dead ball era, if not the whole 20th century, folks. In addition to his six Major League Baseball seasons, he was an Olympic champion in the pentathlon and the decathlon, and quite possibly one of the greatest football players who ever lived. One sports writer in 1977 for Sports Magazine called him the most marvelous creation ever fashioned into human likeness. Still, others described him as simple-minded, lazy, averse to training, and unable to hold his liquor. As phenomenal an athlete as he was, his baseball stats are on the mediocre side. In 289 National League games, he had 252 with 7 home runs and 29 stolen bases. I just can't seem to hit the curve, Jim would always lament. Hell, I would have been a 300 hitter otherwise. And here we are, folks. Coming out of that last wormhole into present-day Oklahoma on a Sack and Fox reservation. May 28, 1887, where the great-grandson of the famed Sook Warrior, Blackhawk, has been born. His name, James Francis Thorpe. His father Hiram was a blacksmith who married at least five women and he sires more than 20 children. Because of his athletic prowess at a young age, he receives the tribal name of Wotohuk, which means path it by lightning from his mother Charlotte. After his twin brother Charles dies at the age of nine, Jim begins to uh, become like a dis- disciplinarian problem. He begins ditching school, which so angers his father that he winds up sending his boy to the Carlisle Indian School in Pennsylvania in 1904, which was like this vocational institution operated by the federal government with the mission of teaching Native Americans industrial skills to integrate them into society. In the fall of 1907, legendary football coach Glenn Pop Warner convinces Jim to try out for the football team. And he is a man among mere boys as he excels as a halfback punter and kicker. But in 1909, he drops out of Carlisle to work on a farm in North Carolina. So during the summers of 1910 and 1911, he accepts $60 a month to play professional baseball for Rocky Mountain and then Fayetteville of the Eastern Carolina League. He's encouraged by Pop with an eye towards the 1912 Olympics. So $60 in 1911 is about $2,000 in the 2024 economy. Thorpe makes his return back to Carlisle in 1911 and 1912. And he was a human wrecking ball in the football field against major collegiate opponents as Walter Kim selects him for the All-American team both years. 
with his gold medal triumphs on the world stage of the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm. Jim was now in a world where he's a global sensation, seemingly overnight. Sweden's King Gustav publicly proclaimed him to be the, the greatest athlete in the world. After the games, however, Thorpe was forced to return his medals when the Amateur Athletic Union discovered that he had played minor league baseball. Something that wouldn't even be a fucking issue today. It was a crushing blow that, quite honestly, Thorpe never overcame to the day he died. After being stripped of his amateur status, he signed a mammoth three-year, $6,000 AAV deal on February 13, 1913 with the New York Giants, who beat out five other teams in their pursuit of this athletic freak. And let's see here, $6,000 in 1913 is a little less than two hundred grand a year here in 2004. It was the most money ever given to a rookie at the time. The agreement included a $500 signing bonus, which is 15 k a day. And even Pop Warner got in on that daily collected. Like an agent's fee of $2,500, which is about eighty grand today for steering Jimmy towards the Giants. One observer wrote, The kid has undeniable baseball skills, and he is a great prospect. Others were comparing the kid to a stronger Ty Cobb, and many scribes of the day insisted Coach John McGraw would take his game to a whole new level, and he would become the future of baseball. However, at the signing ceremony and a sign of things to come, McGraw admits he'd never seen Thorpe in action. He didn't even know a position Thorpe favored or even what hand he hit with. For the record, uh, Thorpe was a right-handed hitter. In his first spring training game in Marlin Springs, Texas, uh, Jim gets off to a rocky start by showing up late for that game. He receives some PT at first and in the outfield, but it becomes obvious rather quickly that he is struggling with breaking balls. During the 1913 season, he is used primarily as a pinch hitter and a pinch runner, compiling only 35 ABs in 19 games, hitting a lowly 143 with two stolen bases, and he couldn't explain it. He had never failed at athletics in his life, and he recalls how he felt more like a sitting hen his rookie year than he did a ball player. And that's baseball. It's the toughest goddamn sport to play. Uh, team sport. It is. By far. Look, man. Stick heats, hits round spherical object. It's, you know, it's not supposed to happen. Based on the physics of this planet. It's not. His roommate, Chief Myers, remembered a night when Jim woke him up sobbing incessantly in the dark. And Myers asked him, what's wrong? With tears streaming down his cheek, he told Chief how the King of Sweden gave me gold medals only to have them taken away from me, even though a second-place finisher, he refused to accept them. 
So many guys did what I did, and they got off scot-free, but I'm just a stupid Indian kid who didn't have the sense to use an alias. So look, check it, freaks. I think I'm going to stick a pin in the Jim Thorpe bio right here. Give me a chance to hydrate, hit the bobber. Give my boy Gunner his first segment, Treats Ode. And when I come back, I'll break the rest of the Jim Thorpe baseball story to you, freaks. Acts 2 and 3. I will never charge you guys for the baseball content here. No Patreon, no Twitch, no pay-to-play subscriptions. It's all free, baby. All I ask that you subscribe, rate, review, share with your Seamhead buddies, and support the grassroots sponsors that support your grassroots baseball pod. Laparose Hair Cleaner at crawfishhaircleaner.com. No more smelly hands. BRB with Lord Jim Thorpe here at Backwards K Pod in the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. See you on the dark side of the moon, seam heads. Advance. They will play Mexico in the quarterfinals. One, a swing, and another climb to deep left center field. Yu Tang has done it again! A two out grand slam for the hero Yu Tang, and it's a 5 1 lead for the home team. This isn't just any start on any day for Rocky Sasaki. It's his first World Baseball Classic start on March 11th. And today marks the 12th anniversary of the 311 tragedy. An earthquake and tsunami claimed the lives of nearly 20,000 people in Japan, including Sasaki's father and grandparents when their home was swept away. Sasaki. The one-two fools men's sheep. Strike three. Strikeout number eight. On what is a very emotional day for him in for this nation. Absolutely superb. Here's a one-two to Bernadina. Got him! teams on the verge of two and two in pool A. Cuba and Italy will move on to the World Baseball Classic and they are going nuts on top of the Classic logo on the first base side. We believe they are on to the quarterfinal. 
Last night, the 0-1 pitch, taken high and deep to right field. Otani has blown the roof off the Tokyo Dome. Almost hit himself in the face on <laughs> the video board there in right field. The ball was just politely and calmly passed around. Everyone partaking in sharing this history. High fastball, and he struck him out. One, two. Hey. Got it. Hey. Keep the ball. Tell him, you keep that ball now. who has lost for a lot of this tournament finds it at the perfect time. Did he ever. I mean, you're talking about a pinch runner that's flying around the bases, almost catching Otani. <laughs> Otani's ready. Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out! Otani strikes out Trout, and Japan's back on top of the baseball world. Samurai Japan, which won the first two World Baseball Classics in 06 and 09, lost in the semis the last two, have spent six years preparing for this. And this incredible moment to finish it off as Shohei Otani strikes out Mike Trout and Japan beats the United States 3-2 in the championship game. This is Big Tex, Gage Geener. 
executive producer of Backwards K Pod. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf, there's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish boil. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the fishing hand cleaner is an all-natural liquid soap perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish, and then washed my hands with regular soap only to touch my eyes half hour later and my face begins to melt off due to the damn Cajun no Bay spices. Well, we also have a hand cleaner specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish and other seafoods. Perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our crab hand cleaner, or the fishing hand cleaner. An ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection, as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back in 1989. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets. Crushing big bowls of shellfish or fishing on the banks of your favorite river while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in fact, hey, Ma, where are my poles? I'm gone fishing. There's also a buffalo wing hand cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.crawfishhandcleaner.com or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 713-588-0290 to support the grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show. That's crawfishhandcleaner.com or 713-588-0290 to prepare for your summer time shellfish feast or that fishing trip you're planning. Crawfishhandcleaner.com Let me tell you about uh, Tony Gwynn. Here's a guy, 15-time All-Star, eight-time National League batting champion, lifetime 338 hitter. Lifetime 338. That's unbelievable. Lifetime 338. Uh, career hits: 3,141 career hits. Uh, Cal Ripken uh, Jr. Uh, 19-time uh, All-Star, two-time American League Most Valuable Player, uh, 3184 career hits, played in Major League record 2,632 consecutive games spanning 16 seasons. How about that? That is it. This, 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 this guy, this was years before uh, 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 steroids. Yeah, these right. guys did all of this clean and straight and, and ready to go. They, they wouldn't even let these guys uh, sit down. <laughs> these guys should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> Uh, 
Constant. 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 You ever get your car stuck in snow, like axle deep snow? Oh, it's not. And, and all you do is you keep gunning it. It's not like. That's what we're doing here tonight. That's what we're doing here tonight. We are. What? Now what? We are going nowhere. Now what? Ladies and gentlemen, it is tonight's top ten. The uh, category tonight, top ten good things about being uh, elected to the National uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. And now here presenting tonight's top ten list, your uh, newest members of the National Baseball Hall of Fame, Tony Gwynn and Cal Ripken, Jr. <laughs> That's what you're looking for. Uh, good things about being elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Here we go, number 10. While traveling the country, I can shower with any team I choose. Well, that's darn nice. Very generous. Number 9. Can now advertise my garage sales as Hall of Fame garage sales. How about that? Number 8. George Steinbrenner just offered me $20 million to play again. <laughs> Bad idea, come to think of it. Number seven. On Bobblehead Day, guess who gets two bobbleheads? <laughs> uh, number six. At any moment, there's a good chance Bob Costas is boring someone with stories about me. That's right. Exactly right. Number five. It's nice to be mentioned in the same breath as Archie Vaughn, Bernie Grimes, and Gabby Hartnett. <laughs> Number four. Three Chalupa from Taco Bell, if I mention them in my introduction speech. Yes, sir. Get yourself a Chalupa. Number three. Made all those years playing in Southern California's lousy climate worth it. Yes. <laughs> Number two. I can now admit I broke my streak in 1998 because I had tickets to Les Mids. Yeah. I thought maybe. And the number one good thing about being elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Get to be on national television, even if it is baseball. Yeah.
Sports K Pod on the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. And before I broke out for spots, I was telling the baseball story of Jim Thorpe, the kid from Humble Beginnings, born on a reservation in Oklahoma. The kid became unruly after the death of his twin brother Charles at the age of nine. The frustrated father here sends his son to the Carlisle Indian School in Pennsylvania, a glorified college ran by the U.S. government, but it's really more like a high school, Votech school for Native American youngsters. While there, he meets coaching legend Pop Warner, who mentors the young man into becoming one of the finest athletic machines on the planet. And even when Thorpe leaves the school twice, Pop is a stabilizing and influential force in his life. With the 1912 Stockholm Olympics on the horizon, Pop urges the young boy to play pro baseball in the Eastern Carolina League to stay in shape for the summer games. And he dominates and wins gold in the pentathlon and decathlon events, which rewards your all-around athletic prowess in different, uh, you know, competition events. After being presented with his medals and trophies by the King Gustav of Sweden, who proclaims him to be the greatest all-around athlete in the world, Soon thereafter, news would break that Jim Thorpe had played pro pro baseball before the Olympics, thus stripping him of his amateur status and his two gold medals. After dominating college football against some of the best players of his era, era, Jim Thorpe was signed by the New York Giants to a massive contract with no deferrals to come to play ball for John McCraw out at Coogan's Bluff. He struggles mightily his rookie year, 1912, as the major leaguers basically keep being him breaking shit until he proves he can hit it. On the 1913-1914 World Tour, Thorpe brought his first wife along, but Coach McGraw viewed his behavior as inappropriate and he regularly lectured him against excessive drinking and gambling. After playing most of the 1914 season in the American Association with the Milwaukee Millers, he spent most of the 1915 campaign in the Eastern League hitting 303 with 22 steals for Harrisburg and Jersey Center. Jersey City. Harrisburg would release him because the owner and coaches believed he had a disturbing negative influence on the team and while playing for Jersey City, he was sued for his involvement in a saloon brawl. In 1914, he appeared in 30 games for the Giants, batting 194. In 1915, he only got into 17 games, but he improved to a 231 average. Over his first three seasons of Major League Baseball play, he had only produced five ribs in 66 games and 102 plate appearances. Thorpe was sent back to Milwaukee in 1916. Publicly, McGraw was telling the writers that although Jim was still raw, 
He was a fast learner with great instincts. Probably, however, Johnny Mac had his doubts. After playing four mid-April games at the start of the 1917 season, Thorpe was loaned by McGraw to the Cincinnati Reds, who were then being managed by former Giants and future Hall of Fame pitcher Christy Mathewson. Reds teammate Ed Roush marveled how fast and graceful Thorpe was, saying Jim would only take two strides to my three. I'd run as hard as I could, and he'd keep up with me just trotting along. The Giants recalled Thorpe from the Reds on August 1st, and he appears in 26 more games for the Giants and ended the only big league season of his career, appearing in over 100 games with an average of 237. The Giants won the pennant, and Thorpe's only postseason appearance was a most dubious one. He was penciled into the starting lineup, batting sixth, sixth against Southpaw Reb Russell for Game 5 of the 1917 World Series at Comiskey Park versus the American League champion Chicago White Sox. And this is October 13, 1917. The Giants quickly ambushed, uh, ambushed the Chai Sox, scoring one run in the first, Threatening for more with men on first and second with two outs. McGraw desperate to strike early. Pinch hits left-handed. Um, right-handed Thorpe with left-handed hitting Dave Robertson for Thorpe. When the Red Sox call for right-handed pitcher Eddie Seacott out of the bully. Roberts ropes an RBI single. And then replaces Thorpe out right field at the bottom of the inning. The guy was one of the most recognizable athletes on the planet just five years earlier, and now he's being pitched in for in the top of the first in a World Series game. In 1918, he appeared in only 58 games all year, batting 248 with 11 RBIs. The following season, after appearing in only two games as of May 21st, Jim complained about his lack of playing time to Coach McGraw, who promptly traded him to the Boston Braves for washed-up pitcher Pat Reagan. Thorpe hit 327 in 60 games for the Braves. By far the hardest stretch of ball in his career, but 1919 would prove to be his last season in the majors. Over the next three years, Jim Thorpe played ball for several minor league clubs, putting up respectable stats, but he began to focus most of his energy into playing professional football, which he had been doing professionally since he founded the Kent Bulldogs in 1915. The star athlete had trouble adjusting to life after professional sports. In 1928, he played semi-pro baseball at his home reservation in Oklahoma when he unsuccessfully sought out a job at Waterbury of the Eastern League. Two years later, he travels to South California as the master of ceremonies for a cross-country marathon, and he would settle in there working as a ditch digger with a few extra extras and bit parts in the brand new motion pictures industry. Though well past his age of enlistment, Thorpe joined the Merchant Marines in 1945 and serves on an ammunition ship. Between 1931 and 1950, Thorpe appeared in over 70 films, a number of which are classics or well-remembered title. He was a New York theatergoer in the original 1933 classic, King Kong. 
Burt Lancaster played Thorpe in the 1951 biopic Jim Thorpe All-American. The story of him being stripped of his Olympic titles. He made some cash along the way, but by the time Jim underwent an operation for lip cancer in November of 1951, Thorpe was reportedly penniless. Jim Thorpe was 65 years old when he died of a heart attack on March 28, 1953 in his trailer home in Lavita, California. Jim's third wife had his body interred in Shawnee, Oklahoma before she moved into Tulsa in 1957. His body was transferred again to Mokchunk and East Mokchunk in Pennsylvania, a place that Thorpe had never been to in his life. And hoping to transform themselves into a tourist attraction, the town merged and renamed the community Jim Thorpe in his honor. His surviving son tried to have the courts return his body to Sack and Fox Land in Oklahoma, but the third U.S. Court of Appeals ruled in 2014 that Thorpe's remains should stay where they are. Even though he was disappointed with the decision, his son, Billy Thorpe, admitted that The community has taken good care of him, and they have honored him and his name. And folks, I think this is where we're going to twist it up like 543, baby, around the horn. And there are a lot of similarities between this week's topic and last week's uh, topic in Randy Macho Man Savage. You have two men that had a baseball story before they went on and did incredible things outside of the baseball realm. Two guys that didn't have... The greatest of baseball careers, but sparked the imagination of fans in other ways in other sports and other industries. And also, those two men, they won't soon be forgotten. I'm honored to have this opportunity, platform, and audience to share this story with. And I promise, Reeks, I'll be up bright and early, hitting that cage tomorrow, trying to get better. And I promise, nerds. I'll try to be even better next week. Before I bounce like a bad check, let's take one last look at those baseball stats and accomplishments that Jim Thorpe left behind for us. James Francis Thorpe. Or as the world knew him, Jim Thorpe. Born May 28, 1887 in Prague, Oklahoma. Died March 28th in 1953, Lamina, California. Went to high school at Carlisle Indian School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and Haskell Indian Nations University in Lawrence, Kansas. On April 4th, 1913, he became the 3,871st player to join the MLB fraternity when he makes his major league debut going 0-for-1 versus the Brooklyn Dodgers. His last game as a pro September 25th as a member of the Boston Braves, and he goes 1-for-5 versus the New York Giants. Six-year Major League Baseball career with the Giants, Reds, and Braves. A career war of negative point two. 289 games, 751 playing appearances, 91 runs, 176 hits, 20 doubles, 18 triples. Almost as many triples as doubles, right? Very interesting. 
Seven career home runs, 82 RBI, 29 stolen bases, only caught three times. 253 total bases, a 252, 286, 362 slash line, 789 OPS, and a 99 OPS plus. So by the time he was done, he was an average player in the league, but... His numbers did improve every year he played the majors. At the age of 32, I gotta think he still had a little room to make his presence felt. Possibly. In 1953, the AP selected Thorpe as the greatest American athlete of the 20th century. And he is a member of the Pro Football College, uh, Pro Football, College Football, and National Track and Field Halls of Fame. After a long campaign led by his daughter Gracie, the IOC reversed its 1912 decision on Thorpe's eligibility in 1983, reissuing his gold medals posthumously and adding his name to the list of American champions. Jim Thorpe, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, seam heads of all ages, this is the story of James Francis Thorpe. Jim Thorpe, the greatest athlete of the 20th century. And there you have it, folks. So proud to add Jimmy to our collection of ball players here at BKP. And I'm always proud to have this audience learning something new about the game. I would literally give my life for. Please remember to rate and review as you see fit. I ain't scared. I mean, if you're scared, go get a fucking dog. I do what I do when I do it. No one does it better. These are the facts, you freaks. You can check us out on TikTok. And our YouTube channel, Backwards K-Pod. The X handle is at back underscore K underscore podcast. Or you can always find me on Facebook at our private group page, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. Answer the questions, or you're not getting in. Answer the questions. Come on in and join the chaos. And, you know, it's just chock full of amazing, relevant, troll-free baseball content. That's the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network Facebook group page. So, I think I need to get you C-Meds back to Terrapin Station 2024 where your loved ones have been patiently waiting for the past two minutes while you've experienced a lifetime of Jim Thorpe. And with Jim's story getting smaller and smaller in my rear views, I again turn my attention to our never say die baseball hydra and I chop the head off that beast, only to see two more baseball topics appear in its place. Next week, we're headed to H-Town, talk a little Astros in the juice box, as next week, we will discuss the history of Minute Maid Park in Houston. Our first stadium show of the year, I can't wait to give you guys all the info that I can find on it. But look, You nerds know the deal. That's another story.
for another pod here at Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. I told you guys, I'm never charging for the baseball content, and I meant it. I want to power team heads in my audience. Knowledge is power. And I'm just going to keep going through every Wednesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And I'm going to keep it consistent like Carlton Fisk, y'all. Thank you again for stopping by the dojo this week. I truly appreciate anyone who takes time out of their 24-hour day to learn a little baseball from this platform. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Parents, if you see your kids sitting on the couch like a board AF, by all means, take those little monkeys outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Shay Hillebrand told me in our one-on-one smart session in the dojo, you go to hell, Andy Pettit. And as an Oriole fan, I couldn't agree more. Okay, Gunner, let's get these freaks home. Me and my felonious Milan, I'm a partner, and co-host Charlie Guns, we're throwing up our Gunner Hendersons to all y'all C-Meds in the baseball universe. That's our number twos, y'all. As in, peace. See you next week with the history of Minute Maid Park Freaks. God bless. Yeah.